great guests, great stories, great listening. Voice America, Women's Radio Network. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. I am Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone. Good morning, everyone. Thanks for joining us on Voice America Women's Network. And thanks for joining me and Lauren Beller, my co-host. Lauren, how are you this morning? I'm the typical frazzled mom with a sick child. <laughs> we, oh, sick, but you know, perfect, because that's a great segue into what we're, I have to tell who is going to be on the show in the next coming up next. Uh-huh. Well, coming up next, my dear, is Dr. Donald Perlman, and he's, and he's from uh, Beth Israel Hospital in Newark to talk about the flu season, and especially perfect. with regards to kids. So perfect. I, yeah, you've got to ask him something. I expect you to, like, join in because you've got the kid, you've got the sick kid, perfect timing, right? <laughs> and then I'll do the interview. You sit back and relax. All right, I'll sit back and relax. I'll listen to you. Can I stop? I can't stop talking. I have a talking problem, Laura. I, I know. Have... It's okay. That's why you're so perfect at this job. Yeah, I can't. But even, you know, I'm talking on the radio. You'd think that would give me enough time to get it all out. But no, no. I talked nonstop yesterday. And who did I talk about? Sarah Palin. Oh, Sarah I Palin. I rant and rave about her. I saw this thing on a blog that just described me perfectly. I can't stop thinking about her. Uh, I can't I can't stand her, but I keep talking about her, and I'm sort of possessed by her. And so we have to talk about Sarah Palin. Oh, you are so funny. So I want to know what, why you're possessed by her. Because I'm so concerned. I am so concerned that she is going to – I don't know. I'm concerned that she may become the vice president of the United States of America. That's my number one concern. And, of course, uh, that means she could be the president of the United States. And I see each night, and I assume that you've seen each one of these, these interviews with Katie Couric. Uh-huh. Have you? Absolutely. I mean, each one is worse than the next. I know. But how could, I mean, I, the more I see, the more I think that we're okay and that's not going to be the case. That, because, that yeah. she won't become the next vice president. Yeah, because the numbers in terms of who supports her and who thinks that she's capable of being the president of the United States are plummeting. They are. And I think that that's, I mean, that's, so it's helping. I think the more we see, the more we know, and that helps us. So what do you think she's going to do for tonight? I have to say, this really bothers me. This is, and I, so I thought, I'm going to say this, talk to Lauren about it, talk to listeners. One of the things that really, really bugs me about how they've set up this, this debate is that they're saying that Joe Biden somehow has to be nice to her and not put her down and not appear sexist. And I, why does well, he I, need I, to I, do that? I thought it was an interesting point that I saw on the, I don't know, last night today, I can't remember. Um, my night was pretty blurry. I think it didn't really turn. It was a night that morphed into the morning. Anyway, um, I thought it was interesting that he can't, he doesn't want to offend women because that will, she'll gain votes by her offending, him offending women. And I thought that was a really good point. I don't. I think it's a put down of women. Why is he going to offend women? If you're running for vice president of the he, United States, you're equal. If you're not equal, that's too bad. I totally agree. I totally agree with you. But at the same time, he needs to not offend women overall in any way in any way, shape, or form, or else he will, he's going to hand votes to her. So he needs to walk a straight and narrow line and keep it on topic and not make it a sex, uh, anything about gender. 
I can't imagine that Joe Biden is going to make it anything about gender he anyway. Can't. I don't think so. he will. Well, why would he? He, de- he, de- he, de- he, he uh, debated Hillary Clinton twelve times. He debates all of the women. He's been, you know, he's been in the Senate for umpteen years. He's debated all the women senators. Uh, you know, Diane Feinstein, Kay Bailey Hutchinson. He debates women all the time. Women who are. Well, who, I, th- I think the interesting challenge here is that he do- he can't put her down for. I mean, he's he can't debate her and. Anything to do with gender, it's got to be all about issues. And at the same time, he can't make it, uh, he needs to not compare her in any way, say things that they could um, relate back to Barack Obama having less experience. So, And she's the same way. She can't put him down for being as old as he is because that will put... Yeah. <laughs> she already did that. I know she has. I know she has. And for those of you, of you any of you, any of my, our listeners who haven't heard that, because I just spoke to a friend this morning, and she really, had, I don't think, had heard that that most recent interview, or when she was walking along with Katie Couric, and Katie Couric is asking her, uh, she made that comment about, uh, well, she's, uh, oh yeah, she knows Joe Biden. He's a good guy. She's known him since she since the first time she was introduced to him. She was in second grade. Oh, uh, no, Katie the first said, time she heard him. Speak. So she's never met him before. All right. So the first time she heard him speak, and Katie said, "Aren't you going on dangerous ground there?" I agree with Katie. You know, insinuating that he's too old when your running mate is seventy-two years old. I agree with her. It's going to be a very interesting debate because I totally have to keep it on fact and issue, and she can't stay on fact and issue. So it's going to be a very interesting debate. Question. Somebody said to me that the, the format of the debate is they're going to have 30 seconds to respond. Yes, they've shortened the time and they've made so you can't have a rebuttal is what I understood. So usually it's, in other words, they ask Sarah a question, Joe responds, and Sarah can rebut. No rebuts. But 30 seconds, is that the time frame? I've heard they shortened it. And sure. Shorten the time frame for a response. So there's, their snippets are so much shorter, which is frustrating because you don't get full thoughts. Well, you're not going to get a full thought from Sarah Palin, I can't imagine that she's going to be able to begin talking in 30 seconds, but 30 seconds seems like uh, such really a... Short. Really short. Really short. Is it 30 seconds, three minutes? Does anybody know? If you do, email us. I do me. know that it was shortened, and I thought um, it was a few... I think it was five minutes for both questions, so like two and a half each, and it's been shortened, and I don't know... I have not heard yet what it's shortened to, but I heard this was the, a request on the Republican side. I don't think, Lauren, that it's... Got, that it necess- you know, that it, I think the onus of this whole thing... I, I shouldn't say the onus. I mean, the debate is between the two candidates, but I think Gwen uh, and uh, the, what is it, Eiffel, she is the moderator. She's the one who's going to be asking the questions. Uh, it, really, the kinds of questions he asks and the way in which she approaches the questions, I think that's going to have, you know, that's really going to kind of set the tone for the debate and who's going to win, at least in my book. I agree with that. I do agree with that. It's going to be very interesting. You know, kind of change the subject just slightly. I'm just going to stay in politics. But <laughs> <laughs> do what you want. <laughs> I think the other thing that we have to be sure we talk about in this, especially this week, is what's going on with this whole econ- how this these two candidates are going to speak about this economic issue. Because I think that people think that now that it's passed in one house, it's going to pass in the other. And I just have a, I don't think people understand the huge impact of what's really happening in our world. Do you understand the impact of the actual bill? I, I haven't heard anybody uh, who no, has not read the, the bill. Has not read the, the bill. bill? I have not read the bill, but I no, I've not read the bill in, in its entirety. I've read snippets of it, and what I what I don't think people understand is that how it literally will affect what you know our grocery store. What the, will be things missing from our grocery store because small businesses can't get money? That it will affect every service that we have if our service companies can't get money to pay their regular bills. 
I just think that people don't realize the impact of this particular economic crisis. I think it's detrimental to our society. And I don't know if the bill is going to fix it. That's what's so interesting. And neither do they. It's, they're hoping it will. Hoping and praying and giving them $750 billion to hope and pray that it works kind of doesn't sit well with me. And I don't have the answer, but I'm just, I want to go back and forth with this thing because, first of all, why $750 billion? Why have they earmarked $750? What, where's, do we know? We, do we know? No, I think that they're looking at the cost of the current assets that are not being paid for currently and how can we, what, what would offset those costs? So the assets that are on the books that they are going to buy, essentially. So we're going to buy these bad debts for $750 billion. Billion dollars. Now, why would we want someone like Sarah Palin to be second in command in the worst crisis in our history? Hello? Would we want someone with a lot of experience and someone with a fresh-thinking mind that does want to lead and can lead? Oh, my goodness. Well, we need somebody who's intelligent who's going to be able to figure this out because there are a lot of, I think, intelligent people who just intelligent consumers, we the, pe- we the people who can't figure it out. So uh, this whole, I, and I don't understand it. I, I just can't understand. And you may disagree with me, but why does the, why do we the taxpayers? Why are we bailing out Wall Street and being convinced? And I'm not convinced. I. It, that this is going to trickle down, and somehow that's also going to bail out Main Street. They haven't really showed us they how that works. That, but they haven't shown us that at all. But what I'm understanding them because this has been really bothering me from a business standpoint. Like, how does it affect business? Really, how it's affecting business is that the small business to keep itself going will not be able to get money. Without being able to get money. I see. I think that's a little bit of a wrap. Small banks, you know, these big investment companies are the ones that are in made, that, you know, got us into this mess. I mean, the big guys on Wall Street. The, the bank on Main Street, banks on Main Street are doing pretty well. They didn't get involved in this kind of stuff. They were very careful about who they lended money to, and the people who were borrowing the money were very careful about whether they were able to borrow the money, and it was something that was in their realm of capability of paying their mortgages. So it's not quite all or nothing. It's it's not, I agree that it's not, but I'm not sure that the powers that be have painted such a clear picture of how the two interact, and that's what I've been struggling with on my own, you know, my own self, is trying to deeper as to what does this really mean for the small business, the small company that is doing basically well but needs to, you know, borrow $20,000 for cash flow this week because they have $100,000 coming at the end of the month, but it's not here yet. Yeah. Okay. That's one question that I don't think is being answered. And I think the second part of this whole thing is why can't, there, and I don't know if this is in the bill or not because no one seems to really actually give us the specifics of the bill, uh, why can't there be a combination of Wall Street or big business or private enterprise bailing out themselves or as well helping as each other? Like why won't they help each other help out each other, yeah. Like I'm thinking, okay, why can't I'm making this up? Why couldn't, you know, Bill Gates, Microsoft loan to one of the investing banks that needs money and have it be Wall Street and Main Street helping each other out versus the government. That's I agree with you 100%, yeah. and that's never come up. Yeah, so why hasn't come I mean, why doesn't somebody ask one of these candidates that question, or just why isn't anybody saying anything about it? You know, you can go online to something.gov, bailoutbill.gov. They even want to change the name. So I know. Putting yeah. a spin on everything is really bothers me. I just, it's really... Well, I just wonder how much of it, just like the war, you know, eight years ago or seven years ago, whatever it was, it's, did you see that interview that... Um... <laughs> 
crazy interview. John Stewart. John Stewart, exactly. The interview John Stewart did that Bush had told the same story to get us to put the fund this war. And it was almost the same exact speech to get us to fund this bill. So it's almost like the sheep that cried wolf, or the wolf that cried sheep, what's it called? <laughs> yeah. It doesn't make any difference. It feels like we're being railroaded. And if you go back and you look on John Stewart and you can see these two videos, these YouTubes juxtaposed beside each other with, with Amazing. George Amazing. Bush trying yeah, to convince us to go to war. Same thing, he's trying to convince us to, to bail out Wall Street for $750 billion. And, of course, if you look at that two- or three-page thing that uh, Henry Paulson presented initially, that he uh, and I've read that one. It takes two minutes to read. By the way, John McCain hadn't even read it by the t- when he went flying back to Washington, right. D.C., apparently, to... Uh-huh. Uh, uh, be the leader in uh, helping to bail out Wall Street. Uh, but anyway, you read that. I read that whole thing. I mean, yes. that was horrific. All it says was, "I need the money and let me. And to, I want to do anything I want. Once you give it. it to me, <laughs> I have right. free reign. We can do with it any, with it whatever we need." Yeah. So I, I don't understand it. I don't think the American people have. It hasn't been explained well to us. Therefore, I, how can we call our um, local representatives to say yay or nay to it? And there's so many people saying no. Well, that's fine to say no, but what are we really saying no to? And that's what's never been clear. You know, who wants to spend seven billion dollars? You know, not me. But of seven course, billion, seven hundred and seven hundred fifty. Yeah, craziness. Yeah. seven hundred and fifty billion. Yeah. I mean, I want to know. I mean, that's a lot of money. What? And we need to know more, I think. I think there has to be a lot more explanation on the part of the Democrats, on the part of the Republicans. We need the information. Hey, the information is there. They have the information. We need to see it. You're listening to The Catherine Zock Show. We're going to take a break. Don't go away. Coming up next, Dr. Donald Perlman here to talk to us about flu fighting, flu fighting guidelines and how to keep families healthy. We don't beat you over the head with our opinion, and we listen to yours. The new face of talk radio, Voice America Women's Radio Network. If you've tried everything on the market and can't seem to get the radiant results you want from your skincare routine, it's time you stop shopping and start listening. Skin Health Today will help you take charge and start making smart choices for a lifetime of radiant skin and positive self-image. Join host Celeste Hilling and her esteemed panel of experts every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time for Skin Health Today on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. America is facing a skilled workforce shortage. SkillsUSA can help. What is SkillsUSA? SkillsUSA is life-changing. SkillsUSA is awesome. SkillsUSA is one of the biggest opportunities life can give you. SkillsUSA is amazing. SkillsUSA is motivating. SkillsUSA specifically prepares you for the workforce. SkillsUSA empowers students to connect with a network of people, starting with their classmates, to their advisors, to other people in their states. SkillsUSA allows students to connect with business and industry, to manage their education, and to really get a feel of the real world. I'm doing something now that's going to be applicable in the real world, and those skills are going to be useful today in school and in five years when I'm working and for the rest of my life. On the web at skillsusa.org. 
Holistic health and well-being covers many facets, including stress, time management, weight loss, cardiovascular training, and aging. And that's just to name a few. Your life without limits will help to sort it all out for you. Join host Joe Sardi and the top minds in holistic health and well-being for an educational and entertaining hour. Listen for Your Life Without Limits. Heard every Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. We talk with you, not at you. We're Voice America, Women's Radio Network, the new face of talk radio. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on the Voice America Women's Channel. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. Good morning and thanks for joining us here on The Catherine Zox Show on Voice America with Lauren Beller and Catherine Zox. And uh, coming up next is... Dr. Donald Perlman, family health and flu expert from Newark Beth Israel Medical Center, assistant clinical professor at the University of Medicine and Dentistry of New Jersey, talking about flu-fighting guidelines and how to keep families healthy. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you here today, Dr. Perlman. Well, I can't hear Dr. Perlman. Can you? Lauren, do you hear Dr. Perlman? No, I was not hearing Oh, I hear him now. Okay, we got you. How are you this morning, Doctor? Hello. Hi. Hi, how are you? I'm fine. How are you? Good. Now I can hear you. Okay, good. Flu fighting guidelines and how to keep families healthy. Very appropriate because my co-host who's on the here with us uh, has a two-year-old who's sick right now. Maybe she has the flu. So, uh, I hope not. <laughs> I hope not. Yeah, we hope she doesn't. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, and the flu kind of, you know, getting your flu shot and vaccination, Dr. Pullman, gets kind of lost, I think, now, you know, with all this stuff with the, well, with the debate tonight, but the election, so, but we don't want to lose sight of our health, right? I think that's the most important thing since I'm a physician. <laughs> okay. Well, I thank you for letting me join you. The, this year, the CDC is very keen on all us getting flu shots. They have a uh, Take 3 initiative to deal with influenza, the first point being getting uh, flu shots. The second point being uh, having the public be aware of and utilize prescription antiviral medicines to treat influenza like Tamiflu, and thirdly, to practice very good uh, personal hygiene. How serious is the flu? I mean, most of us or many of us, and maybe I shouldn't speak for everyone. I'll speak for myself. I think, well, the flu, if I get the flu, I'll be okay and I'll just get over it. And so not necessarily true. There are groups that are at risk. We want to talk about the at-risk groups. But also, how big a problem is it compared to other, you know, how many people die from the flu every year? I think it's a shame, Catherine, that people do take it very casually. 36,000 Americans die every year from influenza last year. Almost 100 children died from influenza. Hundreds of thousands of us wind up getting hospitalized from the flu and its complications. And 40 million Americans will probably succumb to the flu or get a flu infection. So there's no reason for that in this day and age. The CDC has recommended that all children from six months of age through their 19th birthday, 18th birthday or 19th birthday rather, get influenza vaccines. They recommend everybody over 50 get a flu shot. And they recommend that anybody with a chronic illness like asthma, heart disease, diabetes, and the people who take care of those patients should all get flu shots. I personally so, so you've named about four different groups, high-risk groups, right? Yeah. Young yeah. children, people over 50, people with chronic conditions, and people who work in hospitals or healthcare settings. Those people, Absolutely. yeah, you say that's a must. Um, 
but this statistic really kind of, I thought this was mind-boggling, that more people die each year from flu than breast cancer or HIV. Is that true? Well, 36,000 people die from flu, and they, they are absolutely all unnecessary deaths. No one should be dying from influenza. We have very good vaccines available, and I think it's important that your listeners know about the signs and symptoms of influenza. If they do develop those symptoms, and my patients tell me that uh, when they get the flu, they feel like a train has hit them or the house fell on them. One minute they're fine, the next minute they experience tremendous body aches, pains, fever, chills, cough. If you see those symptoms, you need to call your doctor immediately because the prescription antivirals that are available uh, by your doctor by prescription, like Tamiflu, only work if they're given within 12 to 48 hours of the onset of the illness. Dr. Perlman, how do you tell the difference, though, between a really bad cold and the flu? Because every time you get a cold, if you're going to be calling your doctor or you or your partner, your spouse, your kids, you know, that's a lot of phone calls during the flu and cold season. So what are some of the major differences or are there between the symptoms of flu and cold? Well, the flu, uh, cold comes on rather, cold comes on slowly. It's really nothing that would make you necessarily stay home from work. But the flu really incapacitates the person. It's very dramatic and it's very sudden in its onset. And again, there are websites like flufax.com and cdc.com that elaborate on these symptoms. Very important for the listeners to know about them and certainly to seek help. And when you have influenza, you're going to miss a week of work at least. Not like a and I think this is Lauren. I think that the younger you are, the more time, the more, the longer you're sick. Is that true? And the older you are, I shouldn't say older. Like I, both my daughter and I, and my husband actually had it last year, and we Hello? were sick three or four days. She was sick almost ten. Is that you normal? Hear, did you hear Lauren, Doctor Pullman? What's that? Did you hear my co-host? No. Oh, I'm no. oh, yeah. sorry. Uh, I don't know why she isn't on, but uh, what she said was, and maybe we yeah. can get her connected, uh, but. Uh, she was concerned, like, if you're younger, you, what did you say this, Lauren? If you're younger, the younger you are. The longer you have it. The longer you have the flu. Is that true? Oh, I'm not sure about whether that's true or not, but the point is that young children uh, are the reservoirs for influenza. They get influenza because they've had no experience with it. They haven't been vaccinated. They haven't had the flu, so they spread it from one to another, daycare and in school, and then they spread it to the parents, and the parents spread it to the grandparents, and they're very vulnerable to the complications. So the CDC is quite keen on young children getting vaccinated, so they no longer will serve as a reservoir for this disease. I have a question. Is the flu strain, this particular, you know, I know the strain change, this is, well, two questions maybe. The vaccine necessarily may not help the particular strain, but it's, is it, is it, uh, there are different strains of the flu, so, is, is that true? I mean, like you could get this shot, uh, get vaccinated, but it won't protect you against the particular strain that becomes dominant in like this year. Well, each year the CDC looks at what the flu strains were prevalent in the southern hemisphere in their winter, which is our summer, and they prepare vaccines against those strains uh, that they assume will circulate in our area in the winter. And it's an educated guess. Last year, it was a poor match. There was only about a 40% match. Usually, there's a 70 to 90% match. The flu is very tricky. It changes itself all the time every year. So we really need to be vaccinated each year. And you don't really know what the match is like until the season has come and gone. But there's every reason to get that shot. All right, leave us with something. What do we do immediately? We, we, you mentioned two websites to go to, which I think are important, so I kind of like to wind the interview up with those websites so listeners can go and take a look and act 
as you say, get out there, get the flu shot for the family. Um, what were those? Let's mention those again. Flufax.com and CDC.com. Okay, .gov, I'm sorry, CDC.gov. CDC.gov. Dr. Donald Perlman, family health and flu expert from Newark Beth Israel Medical Center, the expert and also assistant clinical professor at the University of Medicine and Dentistry of New Jersey. Well, have a healthy, happy weekend winter, and everybody get out there and get their flu shots. Thanks for being with us this morning, Thanks Dr. Perlman. Great. So, Lauren, I, did I ask him the question in the way you wanted to? I think Dr. Perlman had to get off at uh, 25 past the hour, so that's why I let him go early. But um, You did ask up. the question. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Yeah, I, you did I, ask it. He, uh, yeah, and I think that um, it was interesting. When, when Sierra got sick last year and I didn't know it was the flu, she, I think I had it first and I gave it to her. I can't remember, but she had it for, I'm not exaggerating, it was a solid 10 days, and I had it for three. So... I just I think that human humans I think that adults can handle the, that disease just a healthy normal aged human normal age you know what I'm trying to say you know <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna let you go with it I'm gonna be, I mean you can do a Sarah Palin I'm gonna let you just keep on going and put your foot in it and not you know, be able to go ahead healthy fifteen to seven sixty year olds I think is a pretty we're strong enough to handle it. And then as people are older, I think just generally people, their immune systems might not be as strong. And I think young kids, it's so, I can't tell you how sick that poor child was. And the hardest thing was getting, um, you know, getting fluids in her. And that's what the big thing was. If you don't get fluids, people can't handle it. Is that your phone? It's my home line. I'm sorry. <laughs> don't answer. I'm not answering uh, it. <laughs> I think well, I think that's true, and I think that's what he was saying. The younger you are, kids under what I forgot what under what we are having. Is that you, Lauren? Hello, Catherine. Yes. We've <laughs> got phones ringing, and I don't know who I'm talking to, but anyway, I can keep talking because that's not a problem for me. But it's true, your immune system when is I don't want to say compromised. It hasn't been. Not developed. Developed. I have this theory, and I don't think that Dr. Perlman may not like this, but um, my contention is that if you, and this is probably not true, but like if you get the flu and and you fight it off and you live to (laughs) to talk about it, that your immune system becomes stronger. Now, this is totally not, this is just, I'm just, I'm not a doctor. I'm, a, I'm just giving my opinion, but I always feel like, you know, I grew up in a time when there weren't all these vaccines and that you sort of fought off this stuff and then you build up your immune system. So when you were in that age, like you're talking about 20 to 50 or 15 to 50 or whatever, you really had a very strong immune system. I don't know. That's probably not true. Well, I'll t- I don't know. I have to say I saw the interview last night with Jenny McCarthy with her, you know, about the, her son who's autistic, and she's a big advocate of holding off on vaccines because it's just it's hard for the body to manage all those substances going into the system and she feels like they should have their vaccines later in life a little when they're a little stronger immune wise so, so she agrees with you well is she saying that you should have your vaccines later in life or that you should not have all of these vaccines together like well she's saying you shouldn't have you don't there's no need for so many so young and she, so, and she's also, her, she's claiming that her son is cured from autism, and she's new back, back on the. Sorry, my phone's ringing and ringing. Um, she's back on the circuit talking about how her vaccine, the vaccines really did harm her child. Yet at the same time, she's not against vaccines; just you know, spread them out more, not all at the same time. 
Yeah, well, to me, there it, it sounds like, and you know, this is as I say, I have to kind of disqualify myself as a, a medical expert, but just it, it kind of makes sense in a way. I mean, I you know, not to say that you shouldn't get vaccines, and I think he's right. And it's uh, one thing I think if you have a condition, you know, you have already, no matter what age you are, a compromised immune system. It is important. I mean, one thing outweighs the other. You have to do your benefit risk factor, right? So. You know, yeah, and I always think doctors, and I wish um, he had, maybe he's still listening, I doubt he is, but I, you know, I think doctors just generally feel like the over-prescribing vaccinations is their, the way of doing their job, and I think that there's a fine balance between, I think there needs to be a, a revamp of that system as well. <laughs> <laughs> we are going to revamp the medical system, and uh, well, good, because coming up we've got 30 seconds left, because our next guest, Julie K. Silver, MD, is the author of the book, What Helped Me Get Through. Through Cancer Survivors Share Wisdom and Hope because this is, well, this is National Breast Cancer Awareness Month, so this is very appropriate. You're listening to Catherine Zoff with Lauren Beller on Voice America Women's Network. We'll be back in a minute. Talk radio that informs, entertains, and enlightens you. Voice America, Women's Radio Network. Today's professional woman is confronted by outrageous advertising and cultural pressures that assume how a woman should look and behave. The show Women, Food, Sex, and Power, Rekindling Your Fire, will finally challenge these seriously flawed assumptions and discuss daring alternatives. Join host Bethany Gagné for an authentic reflection of the modern woman every Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Hey, y'all, this is Stephen Cochran. As a country artist, I have traveled around this great country of ours, often meeting our brave men and women in uniform. And as a Marine and veteran of both the Iraq and Afghan conflict, I know how important it is to thank our troops who defend our freedom each and every day. One of the best ways to thank them is to give their children and spouses the gift of education. Scholarships for two years, four years, and vocational school. This is exactly what a national charity, Thanks USA, does. Please go to their website, www. .thanksusa.org to make a generous donation to the Thanks USA Scholarship Fund for the families of the troops, and I thank you. What it comes down to, ladies, is that defining line between been there, done that, and ain't going back, baby. Yeah, I've heard them call you yuppies and baby boomers, maybe even dolls, babes, darling, sugar, and sweetheart. But I say that women are truly amazing. Join Dr. Marlene for Amazing Women, Brains, Beauty, and Style every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific right here on the Voice America Women's Radio Network. Finally, radio that was made just for you. Voice America Women's Radio Network. You're listening to The Catherine Zoff Show on the Voice America Women's Channel. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. Listening to the Catherine Zox Show. I never know whether that's my promo or my intro. I better get that down straight. Anyway, I am Catherine Zox, and thanks all of you for joining us this morning. Catherine Zox, Lauren Beller, Voice America Women's Network. 
And joining us right now is uh, Dr. Julie Silver. She's a Harvard Rehabilitation Specialist and award-winning author and marking her fifth year as a breast cancer survivor with what she calls an indispensable, quote, travel guide for newly diagnosed cancer patients and their loved ones. What helped get me through? Cancer survivors share wisdom and hope. Um, and Dr. Silver, you said cancer is a phenomenal teacher. I mean, I don't know that any of us want that teacher, but I don't know that we have a choice. Anyway, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us this morning. Thank you, Catherine. So, Dr. Silver, I mean, you're the physician, Harvard physician, as well as a cancer survivor. That's quite a combination. Uh, this is, uh, uh, and I guess this was the motivation, obviously, for writing your book. You interviewed, what, 300 survivors from around the world? I did, and actually... Of course, I, I went through breast cancer myself and was diagnosed in um, 2003. And um, as I went through the journey, I, I understood certainly what helped me. And I realized that many people would come to me and say, I know a friend who was just diagnosed. What can I do to help? My sister was just diagnosed. What can I do? And after one of these episodes where someone came to me and I had written down in an email all of my ideas about what might help and how friends and family can really make a difference, I thought, you know, I'd love to hear what other cancer survivors say helped them and what really made a difference to them because, of course, I have my own ideas and certain things help me, but, but not everything helps everyone in the same way. Were there any major differences? I mean, these 300 people from around the world, and, we're not talk, we're, and I just want to reiterate, we're not talking just breast cancer. We're talking all different kinds of cancers. Uh, so very different prognoses, very different backgrounds of the people that you interviewed. Uh, also, you interviewed top medical specialists, I guess, uh, too, uh, for your book. Um, were, are they all there? Are there any, qual- I guess, are there any things that are, well, obviously, that are, each person has a unique response, but are there any kind of, you know, things that are responses to cancer that seem to be very similar or the same that, uh, let's say, that you experienced or that these 300 people that you interviewed experienced? There are some responses that, that really resonated. One of the things that really resonated um, was how withdrawn people can become during the experience and how even someone just physically touching them on the arm or giving them a hug uh, reaching out to them with a letter in the mail, uh, all of those things made such a huge difference to people. And they're so simple, and they're the things that most of us will do anyway. Um, but it was a great opportunity to really see how much those simple things impacted people. Uh, Dr. Silver, what about you? Here you are. You are an expert. You know all the scientific stuff that goes along with your cancer diagnosis. Was that comforting to you when you were diagnosed five years ago with breast cancer, or was it more scary because you really had all the facts? Well, <laughs> I'm not sure if it was any more scary than, than anyone else. I mean, it, it was um, And you were 38 years old, too, right? You're young. Right, exactly. I was 38 when I was diagnosed, and, and I actually had a two-year delay in my diagnosis. I had um, gone for several workups and... and um, Everything was negative for two years, and then finally right where I said that um, I thought there was a problem, they actually found it. So it wasn't anyone's fault. The test just didn't show it. My body knew and my mind knew before the test showed it. Okay, how did you know? Oh, I want to, you know, please tell us because you're talking (laughs) two years, and you intuitively, you knew your own body because I think that's so important, Um, and you knew what were some of the signs or 
symptoms, what made you think, hey, there's something wrong here, but even though they couldn't detect it on a mammogram or, you know, MRI or whatever? Right. Um, That's a great question and one that I can't fully answer, but what I can tell you is that I thought that there was just a slightly different feel um, from one side to the other. And even though the doctor couldn't feel it and even though the test didn't show it, um, multiple tests, um, I, I still thought that there was something that, that might be wrong. Um, of course, sort of during this, I also thought, well, maybe I'm just a hypochondriac, um, and, and certainly the doctors probably think so. But I had three young kids at home, and I kept thinking about that and saying, I just, I need to go back again, and I need to go back again. And, and um, I have no family history or anything like that, um, so there was really no reason for me to be worried. But I was, and, and the lesson I think that's really important to take home from this is that you live in your body 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You know your body better than any doctor ever possibly could. And so even if the tests don't show it or even if your doctor says, I, I don't know what's going on, I don't see or feel what, what you are, um, if you really believe there's something going on, you may be right. Because you so then have what this, do you do? Do you, do you just say to that doctor, you go on to another, you say, I need a second opinion, or you just decide, you know, you go somewhere else? Because if they're looking at you like you're a hypochondriac, the tests show they're negative. You know, as a consumer, like, what do we do? Right. So I would say that you do what I did, um, which, which was not easy to do, and that is to get a second opinion and to keep going back repeatedly, um, which which is very hard to do, and it, it's... Um, somewhat embarrassing, it's, it's, uh, you feel as though, geez, um, this doctor thinks I'm crazy or I'm just a hypochondriac or whatever, but if you know that you're not really a hypochondriac, certainly if you, if you know, gee, I tend to um, over, you know, overestimate things and overblow things in my mind and things like that, well, you know, maybe take that into account, but I don't tend to do that. I tend to um, be pretty realistic about what I think is wrong and, and not wrong and, and um, what I need to do. So. Uh, it was difficult for me to go back. It was difficult for me to get a second opinion um, because it took time out of work. I had to figure out who to go to. Um, I had no experience with oncology, so um, that really that wasn't something that was part of my world. Even though I'm a physician, I didn't have um, you know lots of connections in the oncology world. Also, Doctor Silver, isn't it a it's kind of like a win-lose situation. I mean, what you're pushing for is someone to say, you've got cancer. So, like, you're pushing for this kind of really negative answer. It's kind of, You know, it goes against what you really want is the answer. Oh, isn't that the truth, Catherine? Yeah. When I was told that I had cancer, I just, the doctor came in with tears in her eyes and said it, and I just was looking at her thinking, no, no, yeah. no, you're supposed to say, you're a hypochondriac, go home, you're fine. And that was horrible. That was truly horrible. All right, so now take us from that. You have cancer, and, you know, okay, that's the diagnosis. And this is something that you also cover in your book, what, what, what your doctor should tell you at diagnosis. I mean, it's maybe different for you because you are a doctor as opposed to someone who's just a, you know, a lay person, or maybe there is no difference. But what should they tell you? Well, there's lots of things that they should tell you, but one of the things that you really want to find out is what are your treatment options, the whole range of them. And most doctors will allow patients to make those decisions, um, you know, the, the risk-benefit um, of any given treatment. Uh, how how uh, much will this treatment help to either cure the cancer, put it in remission, 
um, or just treat it, and, and what are the side effects of this given treatment. And certainly you may not um, have, you may not um, uh, get all of the information right away. It's a lot to take in. Um, sometimes people want to know what their stage is. Other times people don't want to know. Some people want to know their prognosis. Other people really don't want to know. But ask the questions that you want to know the answers to and you know, go with your list to your doctor, and definitely consider a second opinion. When you're talking yeah, about well, a life-threatening disease... You, know, you make such a good point here about this, the, what the doctor should tell you at diagnosis. First of all, two things you said. I don't think most of us know that there are choices somehow. I have breast cancer that's just like one way it's going to be treated, and I, I'm a victim and I don't really have any choices. You're saying there are choices in terms of treatment. I think that's real important. But something else you just said, Dr. Silver, what about the fact that like you're sitting there, somebody, the doctor tells you she or he comes in and says you have breast cancer or whatever cancer it is, and it's at that point all you can hear is cancer. You're not in a position to start asking these questions. At that particular time, can you say, uh, you know, maybe ask a couple questions and then just, you know, excuse yourself or recuse yourself, whatever you have to do. I'll come back later because you're not going to hear anything the doctor has to say, I don't think, at that particular point. That's right. And and the grief really affects how you're able to um, understand what the doctor is saying. And that's why it's a great idea to bring someone with you. And also, you will have different opportunities to meet with the doctor as well. I mean, you don't get a cancer diagnosis and then, then the doctor goes away and you never hear from them again. You, you, you have to work with an oncologist and whether it's a, a medical oncologist, a surgical oncologist, or radiation oncologist, I mean, you, you will be meeting with doctors. The, one of the key things, though, is, is to consider a second opinion, even if you really like your doctor, because you may get different information. You may learn about a clinical trial, for instance, or um, you may learn that a certain test would actually be really helpful for you that, that your other doctor didn't mention, perhaps because they don't do it at your doctor's institution. Um, so there's, there's lots of reasons why you might want to get a second opinion, and oncologists expect that. They're not going to be upset with you. They're not going to punish you for getting a second opinion or think that you don't have any confidence in them. They expect it. Absolutely. What, how about the third opinion being on the Internet? Is that a good thing, like when you get your act together and then you go and you research stuff yourself, or is that going to scare you, or how do you integrate that into the information that your doctors are giving you? Well, I think that there is great information on the Internet, but be careful where you get it from. Certainly the American Cancer Society, which is cancer.org, is wonderful. Um, uh, the um, uh, Susan G. Komen um, is wonderful, komen.org. Um, breastcancer.org has some good information as well. So the reputable sites are absolutely worthwhile checking. On the other hand, keep in mind that no matter what you read on the Internet, it doesn't necessarily apply to you. And so that's what you need to find out with your doctor is what, what works for you, what, what, based on all the different things that your doctor knows about your tumor type and how far it's spread and all those kinds of things, what would be best for you. And often I find that women talk to their friends about what they did and, and what worked for them, and really those kinds of crucial treatment decisions should not be based on what some other woman did a few years ago. What I always tell people when they ask me about my treatment, I tell them it doesn't matter what I got because it was five years ago and the treatment is better now. Don't do what I did. Talk to your doctor about what's right for you. Yeah, we, and we've got a minute left. We're going to take a break. We will be back, but I just want to kind of wind that up with, uh, I think, uh, if you're going to talk to your doctor, then another piece of this, because, you know, I have the social worker kind of 
point of view, you have to be able to talk to your doctor. So you have to have a doctor that not only has the information, but somebody that you have a chemistry with who you feel comfortable to sit down and talk to or with, right? Right, absolutely. Okay, we'll be right back. We're talking to Dr. Julie Silver. She's author of What Helped Get Me Through and Cancer Survivors Share Wisdom and Hope. Don't go away. We'll be right back. You're listening to Voice America Women's Network with Catherine Sox and Lauren Beller. Talking about what you care about. News, relationships, health, finances. Voice America, Women's Radio Network. Holistic living is nutrition for not just your body, but your mind and your soul. Holistic nutrition goes far beyond the foods that we eat or the supplements that we take. Discover natural means to heal your body and regain your innate healing powers. That's Holistic Living with Tina Marie Jones on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel, live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. Tune in for your weekly dose of good holistic living. Hey, Ranger, why do you have to remind people to be careful with fire? Well, Mr. Mountain Lion, sometimes people need to be reminded about certain things, like not to run with scissors or let children play with wild dingoes, and to be responsible for fires they start. So what you're saying is that people can be careless and forgetful? Pretty much. (laughs) That makes me very sad. Sounds like someone needs a hug. Back over, I'll turn your hat into confetti! Remember, only you can prevent wildfires. A public service message from Smokey Bear, the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ag Council. Experts say everybody is addicted to something. Did you know that addiction affects about 15% of our country's middle class population? How many people do you know who are dependent on some kind of substance? Would you guess your friends, your neighbors? How about your family? You may be surprised. Many of us live with chronic pain, which has made us drug dependent, prescription drug dependent. Others struggle with alcohol, methamphetamine, and cocaine addiction. Do you have a chronic pain problem? There is another way out. Tune in each Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern Time for a new prescription for health with Dr. Richard Gracer on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Great guests, great stories, great listening. Voice America, Women's Radio Network. listening to the Catherine Zoff Show on the Voice America Women's Channel. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. This morning, I'm Catherine Zoff with Lauren Beller, my co-host on Voice America Women's Network. And joining us, we've been talking for this past 15 minutes, is Julie K. Silver, MD, author of What Helped Get Me Through, Cancer Survivors Share Wisdom and Hope. She's a Harvard uh, physician as well as a breast cancer survivor. She uh, was diagnosed at age 38 five years ago. You know, Dr. Silver, uh, there's so much in your book. I mean, it's just this, it's an incredible book, and it's just filled with information. Uh, we can't even begin to touch the surface, but we diagnosis. I just want to this is a, a quote my, uh, from uh, Kelly Tuthill, who was a Boston TV reporter, cancer survivor. My husband put it best, says she, a cancer diagnosis is like getting dropped off in a foreign country where you don't know the language. That kind of says it all, doesn't it? Oh, I guess we, we lost her. We lost Dr. Silver. 
not sure why. Are you there, Lauren? I'm here, Catherine. Yeah, well, okay. anyway, did you, I think that that really does say it all. A cancer diagnosis is like getting dropped off in a foreign country where you don't know the language. And, yeah, have not a clue about anything. Yeah, it's terrifying. It's scary. And it's all, you know, it's sort of like I don't have one friend Let's put it this way. Friends, relatives, uh, you know, from age 25 to 65. Uh, I mean, I can name you 10, 15, 20 women in my life who have been diagnosed with, with cancer, breast cancer as well as other cancers. So it touches so many lives. And it's true. I do think that it leaves you with such an unknown of what's tomorrow going to bring. Yeah. Well, one of the, some of the stuff that she covers in the book, because I want to be real specific and um uh, she really goes through these things because she's got very specific, like, practical tips. I mean, very practical tips for breast cancer. I keep saying breast cancer, but it's all kinds of cancer. For reaching optimal physical healing after treatment, very specific. Ten things your friend with cancer needs but may not ask you for. That's another thing. You know, you always want to know what can you do, how can you help. And I think a lot of, I know with my friends they, who have been diagnosed, they need help but they're the, they're afraid to tell you what they need they don't you know they're afraid they're going to burden you they don't want to seem like they're a victim there are so many issues associated with it i haven't read her book obviously but um it sounds, she sounds like she covered the things that you know you don't get from going to the doctor you know she's filling in all the blanks for people which i love to hear Yep, and she talks, and here's, this is for you, tips for balancing work and family. This is after you've been diagnosed and going through chemo and all those kinds of things. So uh, recommend the book, What Helped Me Get Through, Cancer Survivors Share Wisdom and Hope, Julie K. Silver, M.D. Uh, all right, so let's, uh, you know, that's, that's a tough topic to talk about, but this is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and uh, Dr. Susan Love was on the Today Show this morning. And there's going to be kind of a new, you know, you know, I think a couple weeks ago, Lauren, you and I were talking about the fact, and I think we had another, uh, uh, I don't know if it was a doctor on the show, uh, discussing breast cancer, but like, no, it was an author, and she had been diagnosed with breast cancer, but one of the things, you know, this whole initiative, like running and uh, for breast cancer and raising money, and that's really important, uh, which it is, but also now we have to turn around and take a look at prevention. What causes it? Not early, not early detection is important, but what about prevention? I agree with that, and that's a place I think that's, that's such an unknown. You know, it's some of the things that are in her book that we do after we're healthy again, I think really need to be done, you know, when you're a kid and start there. You know, with diet and exposure to environmental um, dangerous things. Carcinogens, all those kinds of things. Uh. Yeah, that's the stuff. Each woman I hear, anyone we have on the show, she says, well, I don't have a history of breast cancer in my family. Exactly. Very seldom, not that you never do, but you do, you know, my... You know, there are obviously that there's a uh, a genetic component to, what, 2% of breast cancer, but what about the other 98%? Exactly. So it's it's interesting. I think that there is this whole preventative piece. People think, well, it's how do you prevent cancer, but I do think that there's a huge place to look here for us as women and as as, uh, adults. You know, it's being responsible for our health and not to just put it in the hands of someone else. Our health is our responsibility from an early age, and then from there you really know that you did a good job. Responsibility. I know people for, that also, you know, just like you, know people that have had cancer. And it's interesting to watch those not change after they've been treated. And, you know, their, their diet is just as terrible as it was. And it's, a, it's hard for me to watch. Responsibility, I think that's the key, right? Yeah. Uh, but yeah. They, it's also education. You know, how do, they, how do we educate ourselves so we know how to be responsible from a health standpoint? 
I see that you're coming, and I, I'm going to change the subject here for a second because you're, you have a major uh, presentation that you're doing in New York on uh, to the uh, Chamber of Commerce, and uh, you and another uh, young woman. Uh, as a, as a, tell us, what are you going to talk about? You're coming to New York, coming to Albany, New York, speaking to uh, not just women, I guess, you know, members of the Chamber of Commerce. Uh, what's the message? The message is, well, my message is specifically around, you know, it's time to, sit down and look at the goals and what are some unique ways to set goals. And Deborah Fine is also speaking with me, and she's a professional speaker and best-selling author, and she's speaking more around um, the businesses, friendships, building friendships and networking, and she I guess she's really funny. I'm looking forward to hearing her perspective. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be there. Great. Great. She's. Uh, I guess she's fun, and she's going to give us some networking skills. I do think that the program is geared to women. I think there will be men in the room, but I think it's the Women Business Council that's putting it on. Fantastic. Can't wait. Can't wait to hear you. I, of course, I hear you every week, but anyway. <laughs> so you'll be back here in New York with us, right? One more time before the end of the year. Yeah, all right. So I want to get back to, we got to sort of round up the show because I want to get back to my favorite topic. What is it? Sarah pa- or Sarah Palin, it's your figure. Yeah. <laughs> Obsessed, right? I know. It's okay. I, I totally get it. I've, I have to read everything that I see about her, and not just her, but I like to hear all their perspectives. My husband says I'm way over the top. Yeah, why does he think you're way over the top? Because yeah. it's when I turn the TV on, the only thing I turn to is CNN. I want to see what they're talking about now because I think that they're so up to date. I then subscribe to their um, emergency message news alert so that if something is late breaking, I get an email before it comes on TV. Oh, you're wired. You are definitely wired. Did you see then Anderson Cooper's piece that he did, sent out one of his journalists to that place in Alaska where supposedly yes. you can see Russia? Now, probably everybody's yes. done that, but it's a little island, right? And it's an island, United, like 150 people live on this island, and you can see Russia from this island. However, you can't see Russia, I don't think, from where Sarah Palin lives in in, in uh, Anchorage or even or in Juneau, but so he actually went to this island. I forgot the name of it. Do you remember? I don't remember, but I did see it and it made me laugh. He's making me laugh a lot lately. Well, he goes to the island, and most of these people, first of all, didn't know who she was—that she was the governor of Alaska because she's never been there. Exactly. Been, yeah, and they don't even have healthcare facilities. They don't have television. It's they amazing. have nothing. It's out yeah. in the middle of the boonies. Yeah, well, that's an understatement, the boonies. But anyway, they do see Russia from where they are. But I, you know, I have to tell you, I didn't know you could see Russia from Alaska. It's a brand new news to me. Well, see, you can, but I don't think you want to spend too much. I shouldn't say this on uh, that little <laughs> island. I mean, uh, you, that's, uh, talk about remote, right? Uh, no, I thought that was an interesting piece. So they're kind of falling through with all these gaffes, and like you know, I think that was very funny. But watch uh, MSNBC. I love Keith, o- Keith Oberman. Do you watch him? You know, I don't. Not so much, just because. Just because I have such limited TV time. And well, if you have limited TV time, watch Keith Oberman, Rachel Maddow. I mean, they're left of center. There's no question about it. Very funny. They're sort of a cross between uh, John Stewart and the news, the real oh, okay. news. Yeah. I'll turn it on. Yeah, and, you know, it's funny, but it's also objective. It's it's it, you know it's it's the facts um, uh, presented in a kind of very funny way. It's it's good. It's I think they have two shows a night. If you don't see it at eight, you can see it at ten. Both of those shows. If you can't see one at seven, you see it at nine. So it's, you get to see both of them. Uh, of course. <laughs> so I'm taking. I I'm actually speaking tonight here in Austin, and I'm going to be sure that I'm done by seven thirty to get home by eight, which is when our the debates start here. Can you imagine I have to speak on debate night? 
Yeah, but you can go online. You'll see it. I mean, a hundred times. You can TiVo it. You know, fortunately, you never. One of the good things about uh, technology today, you really never have to miss anything. You can, no, you know, totally you'll be able true. to see the whole show. Yeah. But there is something about seeing it live, don't you think? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I don't know. Is. I'm getting used to watching it on my computer now. I'm sort of like morphing into doing that. So, you know, it's, yeah, both. Yeah, it's kind of just uh, 30 seconds left. Hey, good luck. Have a good time at your speech tonight. Thank you. Yeah, knock them dead, and then we'll talk to them next week. Oh, we've we got lots to talk oh, about next week. Oh, lots to yeah. talk about. And feel better. Have, yeah, yeah, take care of the baby, and uh, have a great week. And it's Catherine Fox with Lauren Beller, Voice America Women's Network. Have a great day, and we will see all of you next week. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of The Catherine Zox Show. You can listen live every Thursday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Women's Channel. Want to know more about Catherine? Visit her website at www.catherinezox.com. Be sure to join us next week for more interviews and great conversation with Catherine Zox.